I'm with Karen. I can't wait till we get together in our building next week. Um, there's just something about being together physically that's just uh, um, it's powerful. And the Bible says, where two or more are gathered in my midst, um, I'll be there. And so we know that God is with us in, uh, in our time um, devotions or just alone, just reading, maybe praying or worshiping. We know that. But wow, there's just something so powerful when we come together. And so I just can't wait to do that. I know uh, some of us will not be able to attend. Um, we talked about that. Uh, may feel that uh, there are some greater risks for you. And so we completely understand that, uh, which is why we're going to continue to do the live stream. So we're very thankful for our tech team, uh, Jennifer uh, and Jeremy, and uh, also Joshua, a few others here and there that help us. Uh, but those are the primary guys. And so we're just deeply thankful for their gifts and their passion and their just desire to serve. So we're very thankful for those, those guys. They're going to help us continue to stream live as we go forward. So we'll be doing both um, worship and ministry time together in the building, but also we'll make sure that we have, uh, we have plenty of room for people who won't be able to be there, who will be in their homes. Uh, so you'll be able to follow us there as well. Another thing, uh, just as a quick reminder before I jump into my message, is we will be meeting next week at 10 a.m., which is different than what we've done for a very long time. Uh, so part of that is we're streamlining our service a bit. Uh, that, and we also want to make sure that we have plenty of time for God to move in our midst. We uh, Also, one of the biggest challenges is when we invite people and, and uh 10:15 seems to be a bit harder for some people to remember, uh, which is maybe not what everybody does. Uh, it's more on the hour usually, and so we just feel like this is a great time to make that change. And so we'll, as we go back, we'll be meeting at 10 uh, a.m. from here on out. Um, what we're hoping for is at some point there's uh, more than one service on a Sunday morning just to take uh, to make sure that we can uh, cover everybody and have everybody in the building. And so uh, when that happens, that makes it a little bit easier to make the transition into multiple services. So lots of reasons why we're doing it. But just remember, we'll be starting at 10 a.m. starting next week. And uh, as Karen said, um, that's Pentecost Sunday. So our expectation is the uh, Spirit of God will move among us. It's what He does, what He loves to do. And so we're excited, excited about being there, being in his presence, being in each other's presence or something about that. And that's kind of what I've been talking about um, as uh, we go into this week's message about the presence of God. Um, and this week's message is called the presence um, identity. And so uh, I'm going to get to why that all makes sense. But something that I woke up uh, a couple of days ago, um, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, with this strong impression of, of what God wanted me to say this morning about identity. And so I'm going to jump into that um, as we kind of move forward in our message. Um, you notice even when we talked about in Genesis last week, uh, there's a very interesting passage where uh, God came and he walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Um, but it's interesting, you see it from literally from the very beginning in Genesis. You see it also in the prophetic names of God. You see it in the, uh, in the names of Christ. Karen mentioned even earlier, I thought it was interesting. She mentioned that God's, one of Christ's name was Emmanuel, which means God with us, God in our presence or our, us in his presence, however you want to look at it. Um, but it's very interesting that names matter. Um, and that, that Emmanuel name is a definition name. It defines something, it defines someone. 
And one of the primary roles you'll see um, in parenting is to name their children. In the old days, they would name their kids often um, after, uh, in Hebrew especially, they would, they would be definition names. They would mean something very specific. Nowadays, it's a little bit different. Cultures change and the way we name people has, has changed. Um, now we often name people after someone we admire or respect. Uh, name them something that we wish them to live up to. There's lots of different things that happen. Uh, recently, you may have heard uh, Elon Musk, the tech billionaire, and his partner had a baby, and they named it, um, well, it's spelled X-A-E-A-12. <laughs> um, Elon said it's pronounced X-A-12. And as strange as this name may seem to all of us, it actually has some type of meaning. And so um, the culture waited with bated breath to find out what it meant. And so they posted it in a Twitter feed. Um, X is the unknown variable. AE was the elven spelling of AI or artificial intelligence. A12 was the precursor to the SR-17, uh, their favorite aircraft. Um, they said about this aircraft, and again, you can hear even the definition and the meaning behind the name, um, that aircraft had no weapons, no defenses, just speed. Great in battle, but nonviolent. And so <laughs> it's very interesting that, again, even as strange as this baby's name seems, it still means something. And names do that. They mean something. My name, David, means beloved in Hebrew. And I'm really glad that my parents weren't billionaires. <laughs> but here's the point. Names, <clears throat> they mean something. They help to identify you. Uh, we joke all the time in our leadership team, we have three Davids, and so we always have to uh, define them by their last name, or we started with last initial, and then two of those Davids have the same last initial in our team, and so that creates some challenges. But when we drill it down, um, when I talk about Dave Weisiger or David Woodham, um, or you think of me, uh, even though we have the same names, you think very differently about who we actually are because our identities are different. Um, names matter, and that's what, something you see in Scripture. Adam, um, the first name, means literally red earth. So what does it say that the first human name created on this planet is a descriptor of the soil from which all of us came? Very interesting. Abraham means father of many, a promise to a barren couple and a reminder to the rest of us that nothing is impossible with God's grace. Karen mentioned Jacob earlier. Jacob's name, Jacob's name literally meant follower. That was his name. And it became a proverb for one who is deceptive. And you see that in the, in the text surrounding him and his, his story. He's fleeing from Laban and afraid of his brother Esau. And he eventually wrestles through the night with God. And as Karen said, he took the, the, the rock that he was laying on and he made it a memorial. And at daybreak, God renamed him to Israel. And so now there's an entire nation that's defined by this man's change in his name. And it literally means he who struggles. And God says he changed it because, talking of Jacob, you have struggled with God and with men, and you've overcome. And so there was something about who Jacob really was that God went after. And he defined him differently than what his name had defined him before. It's very interesting. God likes to do that. Here's an interesting one about King Solomon. Most of us have never heard this, but King Solomon is, actually has a different name. Um, God sent a message through the prophet Nathan that his name was to be Jedediah. And that literally means friend 
or beloved of God. His father meant beloved. And this is uh, God just taking that even further, changing his, his name from Solomon, which meant peace lover or peaceful. And he changed it to not just defining him in this world, but defining him how God saw him. Beloved of God is what he called it. And then, of course, Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. And Jesus means Yahweh saves, God saves, because he shall save his people from their sins. So Christ is translated anointed one, which literally means smeared with sacred oil in a ceremony of dedication. This picture of Jesus Christ was very descriptive. So how does presence fit into this? It's a good question. And it's simple. It's because presence actually defines identity. You see this in the life of Jesus. When Jesus asks his disciples who the Son of Man is, they come up with different names, John, Elijah, Jeremiah, even the prophet, and so on. But when asked further, one of his disciples, a man named Simon, announces what God had already voiced, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You find that in Matthew 16. And interestingly, Jesus had referred to him as Simon for a very long time. And then this revelation, this revelation changed him from a man named Simon, son of someone else, to a man called a rock. And before he was a pebble, it literally meant pebble, something small, an irritant almost, which if you know anything of Peter's personality, that was pretty apparent. But it, Jesus changes his name to a rock. And then you see, even in the midst of that name change, Peter defies God and he, he mocks him. He curses his name and denies that he even knows him. And so it makes you wonder that Jesus saw something in Simon and he called him a rock. And then even his behavior later seemed to prove that that wasn't really who Simon was. Almost like this backsliding, this is what God meant for him to be, but this is what he actually was. And then the Bible talks about him being restored. And we see that after Jesus rose from the dead and he asked Peter three times and three times he denied him. And three times he asked him, he says, um, Simon, Peter, um, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know I do, which is the last part of the statement. And there's something about him that you see the rest of his life that he was that rock. He had been defined by something different. So it's interesting when you see people come into God's presence they're laid bare. They're exposed. So even when God walked with Adam in the cool of the day, the Bible says he was naked. I read this last week. When they sinned, it says when the Lord uh, walked with them and tried to walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. It says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And it's interesting, God, his next question was, who told you you were naked? And the truth is he was naked the whole time, but because now he was naked and in sin, he was ashamed. There can be nothing hidden in God's presence. And that's what happens in the presence of God. Everything's laid bare. When we're under condemnation for our sin, our tendency is like Adam. When we feel or sense the presence of God, even when we're getting to know Him, when someone's sharing Christ with us and we begin to really see who God is, what begins to happen is we really begin to see who we are. With the more we understand and the more we recognize who God is and we get who His character is and what He's like and, and, and who He actually, His name means something and His identity means something, that begins to open up and expose who we are as well. 
it's very interesting that there's no room for hypocrisy in the presence of God. In God's presence, you can only be who you actually are, which begs the question, who are you actually? God's grace makes room for God's presence. Because of what Christ has done, we are no longer defined by what we've done, but by whose we are. It's really important that we understand that. Grace gives you time for becoming. This is what we forget. So we're so quick when someone encounters the Lord, we're so quick to see their sin and define them by the by the mark by by missing the mark rather than defining them by who God says they are and then trusting that grace will come and the revelation of God will bring them into who he actually says they are and who he has always defined them as. God wants to redefine your identity. Grace allows us to be redefined. What have you been known for? Have you believed a lie about who you are? Have you been known for shame? The things that you've done cause you to turn your face away from God. Has what you've done attempted to define, attempted to define who you are? Let me ask that question again. Has what you've done attempted to define who you are? Or maybe even something that has been done to you has attempted to define you. Some of us have sinned greatly. Truth is, all of us have sinned greatly. But many of us, and the truth is all of us, to some degree, have been sinned against. And so often you see this in film, that tragedy or trauma defines the character, that some great loss or great misfortune, some memory then becomes their cornerstone. It becomes their defining moment, this traumatic thing. This someone says something or a father never tells his son he loves, loves him or, or his, a, a mother sees her daughter in distrust constantly and defines her with, with that lack of trust, that, that like Jacob, defining them with deception even if there was a tendency towards that in their own sin. But what is so amazing in that process is that God comes and He wants to redefine us. He wants to give us His name. He wants to call us Son. You see this so, so easily in Christ. Matthew chapter 3 is very interesting. It says, when he had been baptized, this is Matthew three sixteen and 17. It says, when he had been baptized, talking about Jesus, that he came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In this moment, God was defining Jesus. The truth is Jesus knew who he was. We see that through other passages in scripture, but those around him did not know who he was. And so there's this moment of the presence of God in this baptism. It's, it's a man going underwater and coming up and it's seemingly a natural scenario, but it's symbolic of something so much more. And when it happens, it's so powerful that the presence of the Trinity all of a sudden exists. Family comes together and God is who he is in his presence. The Bible says that the Spirit of God alights upon Jesus. Jesus is the Son and then the Father from heaven, this great voice booms out and says, this is my Son and whom I'm well pleased. And what's amazing at that is in the midst of the presence of God, we see grace defined. Just look at that passage again. 
This is my beloved, beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus had done one single miracle, before he had done anything to prove his identity to the rest of the world, he was beloved. He was son. What will you be known for? What will you allow to define you? In the presence of God, do you come? When, when you think of the presence of God, whether it's a corporate moment, a supernatural moment, whatever that looks like, do you, do, do you come with the expectation of grace and kindness and the goodness of God? Or do you come with an expectation that God is going to call you by the name that everyone else has called you? Maybe that you've called yourself. I'm sure you've been in the presence of God before. Most of us, if you're listening to this, have. Some of us haven't whether it's corporately or on your own, how do you feel when you're there? Are you racked with guilt, with shame or condemnation? Are, are you afraid to even come into the presence of God? Are you afraid? I see this so often. People are afraid to actually be quiet. They've got constant noise, whether it's the television or the radio. It's constantly going on in their life. There's constant chatter because to be alone, even in their own presence, seems to mock and remind them of all the mistakes and all the brokenness that they feel they are defined by. And what God longs to do is for us to come into His presence for everything to be exposed. And the truth is God knew it and He knows us long before we ever came. What we felt was His presence because He's longed to be with us. God's presence redefines you by His grace. You are no longer what you did. You are His Son. His presence will draw you deeper into the identity that He is trying so desperately to get you to see. What has he called you to? What are you going to be named for? Who will you be known by? What, what definition will you allow to define you? Will you allow the world? Will you allow your own condemning thoughts? Will you allow your family, whether it was a good family or a, or a bad family, whatever it is, if it's discredited, it doesn't make any difference what your past might be. You can't let that define you. God wants to come and he wants to draw you deeper into who he designed you to be. So I want to ask you as we get ready to wrap this up, to lean in to the presence of God. Let grace usher you into the presence of God. Let this acknowledgement and this understanding that God has washed us clean. He has made us whole. What, whatever we were in immaturity and brokenness, God has defined us by sonship and says, maybe you're an, an immature son now, but in my presence and hanging around me, you're going to be more and more defined by the person that you hang around so much. And then so often we hang around the world and let the world define us. We let entertainment define us. We let this culture define us. We even let church define us. And the only one that gets to define us, if, if, if we understand this, the only one we let define us is God. So let grace usher you into his presence. Let God redefine you. Let him take away your sin. Let him take away your old name. If you were known as Jacob, let, let your name be known now as Israel, someone who wrestled with God and men and overcame, that you wouldn't give up until you knew God, until you, until you were with him, until what he was trying to bring into your life, you see come to pass. Let's come into his presence with thanksgiving is what Psalm says. How can we do that? And the only way we can do that, to come into his presence with thanksgiving, to come into his presence expecting the supernatural, to come into his presence 
laid bare and open before him. The only way we can do that is to let grace usher us into the presence of God. Let me end with this. I remember numerous times where the Lord spoke to me something supernatural in the presence of God that happened. And, and every single time it's ever occurred, there was always something that was holding me back, something that was hindering me, something that was trying to define me. And I come into the presence of God and often my expectation was the same condemnation I'd felt from others and the condemnation I placed on myself. I expected that to come from God. And what was so amazing is every single time he wouldn't even mention it. He didn't even mention my past. And I thought that maybe he'd missed it. And then the more I realized that the whole point behind him not mentioning that was to remind me that that was not what gets to define me. And he would come and he would speak some truth, some word over me. He would speak my name, beloved. He would call me out and he would say, this is what I made you for. Not just the thing that I would do on mission for him, but the fact that before I ever did any of those things, I could come in to the presence of God. And my full expectation, and this is what I long for you and what I pray for you, is we come into the presence of God, whether that's corporately, and we see signs and wonders and miracles and the things God does when we come into His presence, when we see people laid bare before Him in, in raw, in emotion, raw in their spirit and transformed. The Bible talks about from glory to glory as we come into the presence of God. The more we see that, for some people that's going to be upsetting. Even coming into, into the presence of God alone, um, and reading scripture, uh, praying and worshiping alone, so often that begins to open up. And, and just like Jesus, uh, just like Adam, we walk with God in the cool of the day. And what God wants to remind us is that our sin, because of what Jesus did on the cross, has been taken away. It's not just been covered so that shame still exists somewhere underneath it, but it's been taken away. And we've been given a new name. What will you be called? What will you allow to define you? My prayer, my hope, is that as you see more and more the Lord's presence come into your life and you are laid bare, that what He never wants to bring is guilt, shame, and condemnation, but what He truly wants to bring is a release of the fullness of His inheritance in you. So don't let shame or fear or the past or an old name define you. Let God and God alone be the one who defines you. And he says, you are his son, you are his beloved, that he is well pleased with you because of what your brother Jesus did. He's well pleased with you. It's done. It's finished. Now this is who you are. Will you let that truth come alive in you and draw you into the presence of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come and we just say thank you, Lord. First of all, that you even long to come into our presence. Lord, your word says so often that your great joy is that you would be our God and that we would be your people. Lord, that what we saw in the, in the first garden, Lord, would come because what Jesus has done, we know that it can. That we can walk with you in the cool of the day. We can be known by our relationship with you. We can be known by who you say we are. We can be laid bare with no fear of shame, guilt, or condemnation because of the grace and the kindness and the goodness of God. 
And Lord, because of that, I can be more and more defined by who you say I am. And then you become the only voice of definition in my life. And for that, Lord, we are grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.